John, the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 7. Let's rise for the reading of God's Word. John 9, 1 through 7. This is the Word of the Lord. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Um, Grace, thank you for that presentation. Um, you know, we want to make a concerted effort in this uh, new year to continue to inform our congregants about uh, the many missionaries that the Lord has called us to partner with. Um, you know, if you look on the back of our bulletin, you'll see um, there's a section where it says ELM-sponsored missionaries, and uh, Milky and Floor are one of them. Um, they are one of many, uh, and we want to continue to update you, uh, our congregants, on our missionaries. You know, the, the point of worship is to, you know, when we come to gather for worship, we are coming to, to look up, but also we're coming to look out. We're coming to look up to God, and we're coming to look out to God's mission field, to God's people all throughout the world. Uh, and so continue to, with great interest, um, praying for the missionaries, praying for their mission work. Uh, you know, one thing I learned about uh, Pastor Milky and Flora, so they are, um, I, I always thought that they were Cambodian, but they are from the Philippines. So they are from the Philippines uh, called to serve the Lord in Cambodia. Praise God for that. Um, a number of community groups have uh, started back up this past Friday, uh, and other groups, uh, namely Providence and the College Group, they'll start this week. Now that means that on Sundays we'll be continuing our series on John, which brings us today to chapter 9. Now the passage that we've just read, uh, 9 verses 1 to 7, uh, deals with the issue of affliction. Now I want to spend our time this morning really unpacking this issue because I think it can be a real thorny one. You see, what we believe about God, what we know about God, should affect the way we understand affliction, right? What we know of God should affect the way we see suffering. But sometimes we need helpful bridges that can connect the two. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to lay down some helpful bridges that would connect our theology, our thoughts about God, and the afflictions that we face here on earth so that when we do face afflictions, we can allow our theology, we can allow what we believe about God to guide us. And so today, as we look at this passage, there are three things I want to look at. I want to look at the cause of affliction, the solution for affliction, and the glory in affliction. 
So the first point, the cause in affliction. First, look at look at me. Uh, look with me uh, to verse two. When the disciples they see a man who was blind from birth, they ask Jesus, Rabbi or Teacher, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? In asking this question, the disciples are trying to find the cause. They're trying to find the reason behind this man's affliction. Why was he born this way? They're asking, did he sin or did his parents sin? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus says, neither. He didn't sin and his parents didn't sin. He shoots down their question. He says, no, no. Now, I think it's important here. I want to be clear because the Bible does tell us that the cause of all evil, sickness, infirmity, suffering, affliction, the things that we face here on earth, the bad things, all these things are caused by sin. The Bible does tell us that. Right, if you go back to Genesis 3, once man fell to sin, God's perfect creation becomes marred, and man no longer lives in harmony with God. Right? From the fall, we see sin entering, and sin comes in, and it distorts. It, it brings disharmony. It, it brings uh, decay and disorder to God's good creation. So, for instance, one of the effects of sin would be blindness, right? God created man with eyes, right? Just as, you know, we are created in God's image. Man and women, they're created with eyes to see, just like God. But sin, disrupting this creational order, sin disrupting God's good design, would occasionally cause people to be born blind. Or sin would cause people to lose their sight through accidents, or simply because of old age. And so, yes, sin was the culprit. Sin was responsible for all infirmities. But over time, what happened was people started to simplify this. Okay, they knew from Scripture that sin was the cause of all suffering and all afflictions, but what they did was over time, they began to draw these lines from an action to a reality trying to find consequences for certain actions. In other words, what people did was they forgot that this entire world was affected with sin, and instead of seeing this world as being depraved and altogether broken, what they did was people tried to play detective, and they tried to identify afflictions and sufferings to an individual's particular sin. So instead of seeing, you know what, this world is broken, we are all sinful, we're all in this mess, instead of doing that, people started to try to bring it down and really simplify it, and and in doing so, they just created these lines. They said, you know what, because you sinned, that's why you're facing these afflictions. Because you did this wrong, that is why you are suffering this. You know what this led to? This led to those who were afflicted became even more downtrodden because they thought they had deserved this, right? Those who were suffering became even more depressed because you know what? Either I sinned or my parents sinned and I'm deserving of this. This is the punishment that I am facing. They thought that they were paying the penalty of a former sin. And on the flip side, those who faced no afflictions in the present, what happens? They became proud and self-righteous 
because my life right now is void of any suffering, I am doing well. We see the sentiment in the Pharisees. See, they feel as though because they are in the upper class, because they uh, face no afflictions, that they're living a good life. But what does Jesus do? When faced with this question, he shoots it down immediately. Yeah, Jesus agrees, sin is the issue. Sin is the problem. But it was so much bigger than what the people had surmised. See, the reason why this person was born blind was not just because of some particular sin that was committed by him or his parents. No, he was born blind because the world was broken, because the world had fallen to sin, because they were in this mess and it was beyond repair. You see, the individual sin is a symptom of a bigger issue. No righteous man could ever stop or prevent sin from bringing disorder. So what is the cause of affliction? It is sin, yes. And this man was suffering because of sin. But it was so much more than just a single act of transgression. This whole world was plagued by sin. So Jesus, he shuts this down immediately, this thought of trying to connect an individual sin to a suffering and affliction. He says, no, don't do that. This issue is so much bigger than that. You know, first, let me just say this. I think this is a very practical. I, I don't want us to be mistaken, okay? There are certain things that we uh, suffer here on this earth as a, as a direct result of our sins. So, for instance, if you were to go to the candy store and if you were to steal a box of chocolates and then get caught and be banned from entering that store, you can't really chalk that up to affliction. You can't really say, oh, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, right? You, there is a direct relationship between the, that sin that you've committed and not being able to go into the chocolate store. Another example, uh, some of you might have noticed that I am wearing uh, this morning an, an eagle's tie, okay? Um, see, earlier in this year, I made a friendly wager with a gentleman in our, in our congregation. It's, that's just a nice way of saying I, I made a bet. <laughs> I made a bet with a member in our congregation, and if the eagles win the division, I would have to wear eagle's apparel. If the giants win the division, that person would have to do something with the giants. Now, I can't really call this suffering, <laughs> even though it feels like it's suffering, <laughs> okay? Even though I feel so ashamed and embarrassed, I cannot say, oh, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? This, this happened because of my stupidity, right? But, but most of the time, most of the time, a lot of time, our suffering and the afflictions that we face here on earth will be outside the scope of our actions. Most of the time, we won't be able to understand really why things happen. And you know, I think what Jesus is teaching here is I think we have to try to avoid the temptation of tracing your suffering back to a particular sin. Because I think it, it's our natural inclination to try to do that. Trying to trace my suffering, my present affliction, back 
to a sin or to a certain decision or to a certain incident. We have to avoid that temptation. You know, I find that Christians have a tendency to be superstitious, right, or or justitious, right? Uh, Or, or, you know, Christians have sometimes, some Christians have a tendency to to be uh, influenced strangely by, by karma. They, they tend to hold on to certain aspects of karma. You know, I, I just want to say, you know, it's good to be reflective. It's good to think through your life and just your past. But, you know, I think Jesus here is teaching not to locate, try to locate the source of your affliction to something specific. Because if you start doing that, you'll start to just shift blame and hate and never really seek redemption. You know, the, uh, the government shut down yesterday, and at the center of the shutdown was this, this DACA issue. And I know there are many who are under DACA status here. But, you know, I, I want to I encourage and, and comfort the DACA students here not to try to locate the source of your problem back to something. Don't do that. You know, for, for a lot of the students that I've met um, in, this, in this current status, you know, I, I find that they, they've tried to do that often. They go back to their parents. Oh, it was because my parents, they brought me here at an early age. Or some, or some say it's their attorney. It's their attorney who never filed the paperwork but just kept racking up the legal fees. Now, some blame the government for allowing them in but never giving them a solution. Some blame the lack of information, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, with the afflictions and the sufferings that we face, you know, Christ here, he, he, he calls us not to try to locate our afflictions back to something. I think the same thing goes with people with illnesses who suffer a tragic loss, who gets into an accident, right? We always think, I should have, or if only I've done this or done that. Now, I remember myself being plagued with these thoughts years ago. I had a close friend of mine who really cared for me. This, this friend really cared for me, but at that time, I was really indifferent to her. You know, she, she like, like many of the DACA um, students here, uh, she didn't have legal status. She was in her mid-30s, but she landed her dream job. She got a job at an insurance company, MetLife Insurance, in New York. And, and she worked in the World Trade Center. And she was so thankful that she got this job. I remember her praying every day. She asked me to pray for her. She prayed every day, asking the Lord to just open up doors. And she got a job. She got a job. And she was so thankful that she literally went to work every day an hour early. She arrived to work an hour early, got to work early, did her stuff. But you know, the plane that hit the North Tower, the tower that MetLife was in, hit the towers at 846. She was on the 89th floor. At that time, the building, or that floor, her her offices were almost empty. And, And she never made it out. And I remember at that time thinking, if only she went to work on time. If only she went to work on time. You know, friends, Scripture tells us that the suffering and the afflictions that we face here on this side of glory, they are all inevitable. 
and we can try to live our lives to avoid afflictions, but it's impossible. It's impossible. And always going back, trying to locate, why is this happening to me? Why am I facing this? What is the cause? What is the reason for this? And always going back and trying to trace it, trying to find the source of that. That is not what Scripture tells us to do. There is no end to that. The Bible tells us this issue that we face here on earth is so much bigger than just your actions, my actions, and the actions that we all have. The the Bible tells us that this world is, is broken beyond repair and that the sufferings and the afflictions that we face here, at least on this side of glory, are inevitable. But instead, the Bible gives us a solution. The Bible gives us a solution. It tells us how to look forward. That brings us to our second point. The disciples, when they asked this question, hey, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus, he shoots it down. But Jesus, what's interesting is in today's passage, he doesn't take the time to correct their views. Jesus doesn't give them a lesson on the doctrine of sin. He doesn't take them back to Adam and Genesis and say, hey, listen, you're misunderstanding sin. This is how we ought to understand sin. He doesn't do that. In other words, he didn't do what I just did. Okay. Instead, what Jesus does is he actually shows them. He shows them the solution. He says, no, you're wrong. This is the solution. And he goes on to heal this man. You know, what's interesting in the Gospels is that whenever Jesus performs a sign, he doesn't follow a strict pattern or a formula. Every single time it's different. Here in today's passage, what does Jesus do? He spits on the ground, he makes mud with his saliva, and then he takes this mud and he puts it on the man's eyes and he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus do it? Why does he heal this man in this way? Does this mud remind you of anything? This making of mud from the ground, does it remind you of anything? Genesis 2, 7. When God creates man, what does he do? He, he creates man, he, he makes him out of the dust of the earth, and he breathes into his nostril, and he gives him breath, he gives him life. What is Jesus doing here with this saliva and this mud as he puts it on this man's eyes? What is he doing? He is recreating this man. He is recreating the eyes and the sight that was lost because of sin. Jesus is making this man new once again. You know, back in uh, John chapter 5, there's this interesting scene where uh, the Jews accuse Jesus of making himself equal with God. They say, Jesus, you're making yourself equal with God. That's not right. That's not right. And this is how Jesus responds. This is John 5, 19 to 21. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he wills. In other words, there's this, really, this is a really interesting passage, but Jesus is actually doing a play on words. He's saying, no, I'm not making myself equal with God. I'm just doing what God is, what I've seen God do. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, 
I seen my father create this world. And I saw this world broken and marred by sin. So now Jesus is doing what? The exact same thing he is creating. Just as he saw his father create the world, now Jesus has come to recreate, to do exactly that which he saw his father do. As God creates and gives life by breathing into the nostrils of man, Jesus is saying, I too will give life. I will revive, I will resurrect, I will recreate. See, the only way to reverse the effects of sin was to create all over again, was to recreate. This is the solution for affliction. You know, there's another subtle hint at this. You know, Jesus, as he makes mud, as he recreates this man's eyes, what does he do? He tells him to go to Siloam. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. You know, this man, I have a picture up here for you. Um, This man was um, sitting right here. This is, oh, excuse me. He was at the temple, right? This is in continuation of John 7 during the feasts. So he's at the temple, and Jesus tells him to go all the way over here. Now, that walk from the temple to the pool of Siloam and back slightly exceeded, in terms of uh, distance, it slightly exceeded the limit that one could walk on a Sabbath. So, from the perspective of this man, right, he was either going to follow Jesus, listen to Jesus, by walking and coming back and becoming a new creation, or he was going to continue to live in the old dispensation and observe old Sabbath laws. And, you know, this, this man is sort of caught in a uh, dilemma. Because if he leaves where he's supposed to be, you know, where, where most people stood and, and begged and, and received help, if he leaves that place, goes and comes back, he's, he's breaking Sabbath. But what does he do? He chooses Jesus. He chooses to follow Jesus. And and in doing so, he is under now, not the old dispensation, the old laws, but now he is accepting the fact that he has become a new creation in Christ. See, once again, you know, in today's passage, Jesus understands that the cause of the afflictions that we face here on earth, they are bigger than just one man and one family. The very fact that Jesus was in the world, the very fact that the eternal Son of God had to put on flesh was evidence that the real problem was so much bigger than what the people had thought. Therefore, the solution had to be more than therapy. It had to be more than improvement, more than refinement. It... Renovation fell short, enhancement fell short, advancement fell short, even revival was not enough. The way to solve the issue of affliction and suffering had to be recreation, a new creation. The old had to go and the new had to come. This is why ultimately Jesus had to come 
as the Son of God, why He had to go to the cross, why He had to die, why He had to resurrect, because it wasn't enough for Jesus to just teach. It wasn't enough for Jesus to just heal. Jesus certainly in His lifetime could have gone around and healed all afflictions and all sufferings that He faced and He saw, but that wasn't enough. He had to go to the cross, he had to die, and he had to rise again. Because in doing so, he would take on all the afflictions of the world. And in rising to newness of life, he would bring about new creation. Now, Isaiah tells us this. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. See, the solution for our affliction, the solution for the sufferings that we face and experience here on earth is the cross of Christ. The work of Jesus, promising new creation, taking on the afflictions and the sorrows and the sufferings of this world to once again make all things new. You see, the Bible doesn't tell us, okay, you know what? Find the source of your particular problem. Find the source of your sin or find the source of your affliction and suffering in something. It doesn't say that. The Bible tells us, in fact, not to try to trace it, but it tells us to look forward to the solution to Jesus, and that's what he's doing. You know, Jesus acknowledges and understands that this world is broken beyond repair. There is no comprehensive or sufficient explanation as to why sometimes we experience the things that we do. We can try to connect the dots. We can try to make sense of it. But we're living in this, this mess. It's an entire mess. And Jesus, instead of coming to explain everything and say, look, this is what went wrong, and he doesn't go on and teach this whole theology. He, he, he speaks immediately to the disciples. He says, this is what's going to happen. And he shows them what he's going to do. Which brings us to our third point, our final point. The glory in our afflictions. I mean, we'll, we'll return to this later in John, especially in John 15 and 16. Jesus talks a lot about this. But interesting what Jesus says here. He says, when asked the question, did this man sin or his parents sin that he was born blind? Jesus says exactly in verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, elsewhere, a few chapters later in John 11, you know, they're met with a very similar instance where uh, Jesus' close friend Lazarus dies of an illness. And the disciples are trying to get Jesus to go, and Jesus says this, this illness will not end in death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I, I want us to, I want, I want to just uh, be clear here. In John 9, John 11, I'm, Jesus isn't saying, listen, these things happened uh, because 
you know, God wants to be glorified. That's not what he's saying. So in other words, the cause for these illnesses and afflictions is not that, so that the works of God might be displayed. It's, it's, it's not that kind of a direct correlation. But in other words, what, what, John, what Jesus is saying in John 9 and 11 is this. He's saying, no, these things are not a result of particular sins. He's saying, no, that's wrong. But even this, even this, or even through this, the work of God will be shown. In other words, they're asking why. Why is this happening? And Jesus is saying, listen, don't ask why, but ask how. Jesus is saying, listen, let's not try to locate the source of this issue. But he's saying, even God, with this situation presently, even the suffering and this affliction, even this, God can redeem it. God can be glorified through it. God can work in and through it. See, there is no situation, Jesus is teaching here, there is no situation too bleak, no affliction, too devastating that God cannot redeem and use for his glory. You know, if you go later on to, to John uh, towards the end of the gospel when uh, he actually rises again, uh, there's this guy, Thomas, he says, listen, Jesus, I can't believe in you. I need to see the mark of the nails. And what's interesting is that Jesus, in his resurrected body, in his resurrected body, his glorious body, he still has the mark of the nails in his hands. You know, I, I love that about, uh, you know, Jesus' resurrected body. And, you know, when, when Jesus returns, you know, I, I, I know, I believe that we're going to see those marks. You know, I think that, that, that points to something really interesting. See, these marks, the marks of the nails, were actually marks of suffering. They were marks of condemnation. They were marks of penalty and affliction and suffering. But in Jesus' resurrected body, these marks of suffering have transformed, have become marks of glory. Yeah, these things have happened, but the works of God can be shown through them. Yes, we go through certain things in life. We face afflictions and sufferings of many sort, but yes, even that, God can be glorified in and through. Yes, we face things that we just don't know the answer to, that, we, we, that, just, uh, that are mysteries to us. We don't know why. But even that, God can redeem. You know, and, and the Gospels tells us that the afflictions and the suffering that we face here on earth that yes, even that too, God will use for his glory. You know, and, and I think as, as Christians, practically, this is helpful because, you know, I, I know that there are things that sometimes we are uh, just too ashamed of and the, the sufferings and the afflictions that we face that sometimes bear us down too much. I think we all have our skeletons in the closet that we just don't want to think about, that we want to just leave there and forget and just continue to live our lives. But the gospel tells us that when Jesus redeems us, he redeems all of that. 
He redeems all of that in the past. All the things, all the scars in our lives, he redeems it. And he uses it for his glory. He makes them not scars of afflictions and suffering, but scars of glory. He transforms even that too. And so, yes, as we think about the present situation, where we are, yes, our lives are not free from afflictions and suffering. But God will be glorified in all of the brokenness of our lives. He is redeeming it. He is recreating it. And when we enter into glory, all the things that we have been ashamed of, all the things that we have been hiding, all the things that have weighed heavily upon us, all the afflictions and the sufferings that we have faced on earth, the scars of suffering will be transformed to scars of glory. And that is what I want to exhort the congregation to this morning, to remind it of this fact, that Jesus here presently, he tells us to, he calls us to take our, this burden that we bear to trade it in for a crown. He tells us to take the shame that we face and to trade it in for something more glorious. Allow the gospel to redeem those aspects of your life that you are hiding. Allow the gospel to make glorious those things, those things in the past, those things that we are afflicted with. Yes, even that God can be glorified. The work of God can be shown. Let's proceed. Go forth in faith. Join me in prayer.